then uh, you have this, this band, this motley crew of tens, maybe hundreds of individuals hoping for good to reign, hoping for good to conquer evil, but they are engaged against um, in a, a seemingly indomitable foe. Literally myriads, if not millions, of evil hordes coming against them. And you're caught up, if you watch the movie, in this, this sort of, this is not going to work. The end I long for, the end I hope for, is not going to come to pass. And yet, you see that the foe is conquered and good reigns and evil is vanquished. And you see the power of good coming through and I want I showed that clip because I want to draw us in to the very atmosphere of today's scripture if you turn to Joshua chapter 6 we need to be drawn in people we are not a war culture we are not people um, who are kind of caught up in that extreme intense emotion we play paintball and kind of place that off as guys really engaging in battle but this is battle. And let me tell you this morning, my friends and family, we are engaged in constant spiritual warfare. The Bible makes no apologies about that. But that we are engaged in warfare against a foe whom we think is indomitable and unconquerable because of his size and because of his work and how he gets into our lives, how he gets into the lives of our family, how he's destroying culture. And you let me tell you today, his head has been bruised. He has been crushed. And he's on his way to one day, one day, be destroyed. And I hope today we can spend some time in Joshua chapter 6, finding out how we conquer our Jerichos. How do we conquer our Jerichos? If you turn to Joshua chapter 6, we'll get into this, this sort of moment in the, the story of the Israelites. Uh, some of you haven't been with us every week. Some of you are watching us on internet, which always scares me when I hear someone's done that. So I'm thinking, ah. But um, we've been going through the book of Joshua for a period now, and we finally crossed the River Jordan um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Andy talked about the fact that part of God's military strategy was to de sort of incapacitate the guys for a couple of days by uh, circumcision. Um, and then Aaron talked about the, the, the commander of the army of the Lord coming to meet with Joshua and this awareness of his grandeur and his holiness. And I tweeted this morning, I put out on Twitter, Lord, as commander of the army of the Lord, would you be among us this morning? I'm not sure many of us have recognized that. And I hope that will happen in the course of today. And by the time we celebrate communion together, we'll realize he is with us this morning. And he's chosen and adopted us like Ben said. Some of us, some of you are still far from him. But he wants to encounter us this morning. But I want to answer this question. What's your Jericho? What is the seemingly impenetrable wall that hinders your enjoyment of the promised land? What, what's, that, what's that something? Or what are those, those things, those strongholds that seem to hold you back from fully enjoying Christian life? For those of you who are unbelievers this morning, um, it's unbelief. It's rebellion that's holding you back from realizing the love of Jesus, the love of God in Christ. But for some of us, it could be sin. Our, our Jerichos, even as followers of Christ this morning, could be that nagging sin. I'm not going to ask these questions. I'm going to tell you, for some of you, it's anger, particularly men. 
Your Jericho is anger and it stops you enjoying God and it wrecks some of your relationships and it's the thing that you come to night by night, day by day to God saying, Lord, this one thing, rid me of it, please take it away. For some of you, it's bitterness. Some of you, particularly women, you tend to hold on to bitterness. You hold on to things where you've been aggrieved, whether that's in a relationship or whether that's in the way your church does worship or whatever it may be. There's a bitterness lingering there. Your Jericho, these impenetrable walls, this, this um, almost invanquishable foe stands before you and you go, I want to get rid of this bitterness. Uh, if you do, that's probably the first place we need to start. But some of you, it's bitterness. Gentlemen, for many of us, it's lust. For many of us, lust. I remember writing in my, and I, I, I'm kind of honest, so if that's one thing you've got to get used to, then that's probably part of it. But I remember writing in my journal about five and a half years ago, when it seemed I'd really conquered issues of lust, writing in my journal these fateful words. It seems now, Lord, you are rolling out the red carpet to holiness because I've conquered this thing. Fortunately, he showed me everything else that was sick in my heart, and I had to keep on working on that. And I assure you, it's not a conquered foe, and it's something that I constantly say, Father, would you take this out? Men, this dominates our lives. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Oh, unforgiveness. The Jericho of unforgiveness in every one of our lives. I'm not leaving anyone out for that one. You, you, you didn't talk to me. You, you slept with another woman. You, you, the unforgiveness, the, the, the holding on and the Jericho is just there and it's binding you and it's holding you back from the full enjoyment of the promised land. Like we said right at the beginning, the book of Joshua is about, and it's similar to the book of Ephesians where we have been adopted. We have been called. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, but we have to live a victorious, obedient Christian life to enjoy it. You can have all the blessings in the world and you can be sitting like a lost, lustful, unforgiving, bitter young man in your bedroom enjoying nothing of what God's promised you. It's possible. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's pride. Materialism. Can't not buy that next thing to try and make me happy. Maybe it's apathy. Apathy. That's an unknown sin which you want to come talk to me about. I'll, I'll share a bit about apathy and how destructive it is to your Christian life. Or maybe it's an issue. Maybe it's finances. This one thing, this Jericho, you just seem to can't get past to truly enjoy Christianity. Maybe it's an unbelieving partner or wife or husband that holds you back. Maybe it's a rebellious teenager. Maybe it's your crushed identity. Your past has formed you into a broken person. It's almost impossible to get over that crushing Sort of, I am nothing, I am worthless, I am not of value, I am not loved. Maybe it's a broken self-image, particularly teenagers struggling with this issue in a culture which just enforces you to look a certain way. But what is your Jericho? What is your Jericho's? Maybe you've got a few. I want us to turn to these verses of Scripture in chapter 6 to uncover the means by which through faith in Christ you are able to conquer your Jericho's and live fully the life of faith. Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5. I believe there's a divine strategy. I believe that it is, this strategy is executed by faith. And I believe this, that God gives victory to the obedient. There's a divine strategy, a strange one. That strategy is executed by faith. And God gives victory. Victory, my friends. Victory to the obedient to the obedient. Let's 
to read Joshua 6 verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because one of the Israelites, because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, particularly if you're a follower of Christ, that before the final promise, there's already a pre-promise. Whatever Jericho we're encountering at this time, there's a promise that we need to hold on to completely. And if you look in verse 2, listen to these words that the Lord says to Joshua. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Present tense. I've already done it, Joshua. And that's God's promise to us this morning. We have the promised land. We have the promise of eternal life, eternal joy in Christ. God has already promised that. He's already made the down payment. He's already proven the grandeur and the majesty of His love for us. In fact, God says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, He tells us that no matter what situation we're facing, and each of us faces situations that we sometimes think, how am I getting out of this, Lord? How am I going to do this? We read these verses in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, where Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Verse 13, No temptation has seized you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out, so that you can stand up under it. What the Lord is saying to us is that although you think you are uniquely locked away with this Jericho before you, although you think I can't conquer the sin, no one else struggles with this sin the way I do. No one looks at that type of pornography. No one, no one feels the unforgiveness I feel on the husband who walked out on me years ago. No one else feels that. Yes, they do. And more importantly, Christ himself, it says in the, he in, in the book of Hebrews, has faced the sin, every temptation that we have and sympathizes with us. God is with you in your problem. More importantly, God has already promised you victory in your obedience. God's already promised you that. He's already promised me that. I want you to sit back and think... Um, <laughs> Aaron alluded to it slightly last week, but... what? What was Joshua's plan about how to take Jericho? I mean, we, we've worked out that this isn't a sort of a modern-day metrosexual kind of guy. This isn't a, oh yeah, I get my manicure and pedicure done most weeks, and I get my hair done by a particular hairdresser because I like to look a certain way. This isn't a, I don't want to grow up and move out of mommy's home because I like playing Xbox until the day I die. This is Joshua. 
This is Joshua. This is a man of God. This is a man of war. This is a man who's walked the desert for 40 years and is still considered a leader. This is a man faithful to God. This is a man obedient. This is a man with military strategy probably oozing out of his veins. And he must have said, guys, I've got ideas. Let's get the plans out. Get the map of Jericho, the one we did last week. Let's get that papyrus out. All right, you take the back. You take the forward. Great, I'm going to go for a walk. You're not going to do it that way, Joshua. Huh? In fact, I've got an idea. Well, seeing as you're the big guy, it's going to even be better than mine. Are you going to provide us with some sort of military weapons? No, I've got another idea. Just walk around the walls. Oh, just the once, and then we can do what we want. No, no. I want you to do it 13 times. Okay? Just me? No, no, all of you. Cool, can we make a lot of noise? No, no, no. I want every one of you to be silent. Oh. Can we rush in? Can we do... No. I've got an idea. No. He receives God's divine strategy. You see, what had happened to Joshua and what needs to happen to us all and what Aaron was really trying to emphasize last week is that you need to encounter the divine commander of the armies of the Lord. I'm not sure how you do that, but there needs to be a way that if possible, day by day, maybe not a supernatural, phenomenal encounter, although those are possible, but day by day, we need to be getting those sandals off and encountering the army, the commander of the army of the Lord. Because if you're wondering why you're struggling with Jericho, if you're wondering why you've got all these issues in your life, it's probably because you're going at them in your own strength and with your own strategy. Each of us needs God's divine strategy. Okay? He submitted his plans, his hopes, and his life to that mighty commander who met him in Gilgal. Have you done that? I'm not saying if you put your hand up, an evangelistic crusade and said, yeah, I love Jesus because it seems like the cool thing to do. I'm asking, have you submitted your plans, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, your pride, your anger, your bitterness, your unforgiveness, your lust, your issues? Have you submitted them to the commander of the army of the Lord, Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Have I done that, Simon? Have you done that? Are you doing that? Who's in charge of your plans? Who's in charge of your future? We need to submit our lives. Let's, let's never get caught up in a passive Christianity. Let's never get caught up in a, if I just read the promise, the promise is true. As Ben proved to us, you can read Ephesians 1 verse 4 until you can't read anymore and your eyes are popping out of your head because you're like, I can't even read anymore because the light's gone in my eyes. It doesn't mean it will be true in your life unless you embrace it by faith. Unless you're obedient to the life that God's called you to. It's almost like you can live this life parallel to God's calling for your life. You could be in His will in the sense of you're still going to go to heaven and you're still going to enjoy that or whatever that means. But you're kind of living alongside going, why does it feel so sucky here? Why, why am I always struggling with these issues? And why is it, it seems like there's a promises of life there, but it seems that that demands obedience. That's exactly what it demands. is our obedience and our faith, our trust, our belief in the promises of God. God does have a divine strategy for you to conquer your Jericho. You could see that. He laid out his strategy for Joshua. It was totally 
non-military. It was totally, this is not the way I'd do it. But look at Joshua's response. Strategy is executed by faith. Let's read the next few verses. End of verse 5. The city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. Verse 6. So Joshua immediately, although probably battling in his head, this is one mental plan, Lord, immediately calls the priests and the army. Verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word, until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. Let me just hold off there. In different commentaries and in different uh, sort of understandings of this section of scripture, um, certain people think it was just the half a million strong army, armed men that did this while the women and children stayed at home. Other commentators think, no, it was the two million people of Israel that did it. I personally, uh, knowing women as I do, and reading this verse, um, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word. It's pretty obvious the woman stayed behind. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? The Minister of Home Affairs, a.k.a. Kiralee Lee Jones, my wife. Keeping silent after a walk around the wall and do nothing about it. It's not going to happen. Why don't you fix that? Well, I'll do it tomorrow. No, you won't. You do it today. No, you won't. No, you do it. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm, it's just... I'm only kidding. <laughs> Verse 10. But Joshua had commanded the people, don't give... Da, 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 da. So he had... I'm not a chauvinist. It's just, it's, it's just to try and bring a bit of humor. <laughs> and it is true. My wife... If I said I'll put her fixing the car for the next seven days, and then I'm going to walk around it seven times on the last day, the puncture's in that wheel, Simon. Fix that wheel. Don't walk around it, and don't think God's going to intervene. Do it. That, that's kind of what I'm saying. Probably would have happened. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city! The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go in His treasury. Can I tell you this week to be here for next week? Because I've chosen not to deal with all 27 verses of this chapter because next week we're going to talk about the holiness of God. 
and I really, really would encourage you to be with us if you want to be, sort of thing. Okay, I hope it's not something I'm saying. Um, Joshua 6. Faith, it is faith that applies the promises of God. Like I said earlier, referring humorously to Kirili, can you imagine the inner thinking of these Israelites? Can you imagine their minds when, is that all we're doing today? We're walking, walking about three quarters of a mile and then going back home. Well, what's that about? And then the next day, the same thing. 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 And then on the sixth day, the same thing. They must have been thinking, what is going on here? What is God up to? What is Joshua thinking? I want to make this statement. We must allow the Lord to bring our will into conformity with His will. We must allow the Lord to bring our will, our plans, our ambitions, our dreams, our hopes into conformity with His. And the only way that is possible is through faith. If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, the great sort of um, corridor of images of faith, you see in verse 30 of Hebrews 11, that it wasn't any military strategy, it wasn't the power, it wasn't the loud shout or the glorious sort of discordant resonance that, of the, the, the trumpets that resonated with the, 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 the inner sort of um, structure of the wall and they crumbled. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell. Verse, verse 30 of chapter 11. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. Listen to this verse. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. This whole Christian journey, my friends, is a journey of faith. It's a journey of realizing and grasping and applying the great promises of God by trust and active belief in who He is and what He's promised. That is how the strategy was executed. In John 4 verse 10, or in other occasions where we see people encountering Jesus, He says, go away. Your ability to worship has made you well. Go away. Your tithing has made you well. Go away. Your constant attendance to church has made you well. Go away. Your faith has made you well. Are we people of faith? Bless you. I see some hands. That's wonderful. Not used to that. Bless you. We'll take you. <laughs> Are you a people of faith? Can I be your pastor for one minute? I don't always see that in this room. I don't always feel that. We need to realize that as we walk out of that world into this space, we just need to rise in faith as our God comes among us. Leave those problems out there. Lift our hearts by faith that He will transform us. I'm going to make a brief reference to the role of music in this whole strategy and then talk a bit about us, but very, very quickly. By faith, God will bring our will, our dreams, our hopes into conformity with His will. One of the commentators says, I believe that the deepest theological message of the story is that God is teaching us to trust Him instead of our own cleverness. To trust Him instead of our own plans. I really, really, really want a husband. So I'm going to go about it this way. 
I really, really, really want to be secure in my finances. So I'm going to dodge the tax man. God, God will forgive me. I really, really, really want sex. So I'm going to do it virtually. And this goes on and on and on. We trust in our own cleverness. We trust in our own ways of getting out of the situation instead of believing that God has already, one, promised us the victory, but two, will give victory to our obedience if we follow Him by faith. This is not the first time that God has chosen to shame the wisdom or the cleverness of man by His own wisdom. Think back to Noah. It had never ever rained. Build a boat. Yeah, it's, it's, it, you're going to need a boat. Okay, should I build just a kind of little one with a sail? No, if possible, uh, could it be a boat that houses all the animals? Uh, two of every... Come again? Just do it. All right. Faith. Okay. What about Gideon? You are going to take out the Midianites. They're coming to destroy you. Get ready. Sweet. Who's in? Bunch of good guys. 10,000. Nah, it's too many. What? There's about 40,000 of them down there, Lord. No, that's too many. Why don't you do this? Okay, 3,000 of us, mm, still too many. I've got an idea. What is it? Should we do like a military strategy test? No, I've got an idea. Could you get them to drink water? And uh, the ones that sort of bring it up to their uh, mouth and drink, um, we don't want those. The ones that lap it up like a dog, those are the guys you want with you this time. <laughs> uh, the, the ones that lap it up like, yeah, 300 of you. God's wisdom, God's ideas. Surely He is wiser than all of our wisdom combined. Surely His knowledge, His insight, His plans, His ideas should be the ones that we're seeking to fulfill and follow. Not our own. I have my own ideas. I have my own ideas, believe it or not, of how this church should go. In fact, that's why I'm in this position. Fortunately, fortunately, nine times out of ten, I do everything I can to listen to God with the other elders. Elder. Elder. Or other old people. I don't know. Other, other, other. <laughs> Listen to this. In Hebrews 11 verse 7, we hear the reference to Noah. Judges 7 verse 7. Do you know what? Um, there's a similar little word that God uses with Gideon that he used with uh, Joshua. So Gideon, the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you. Oh, what a wonderful little pronoun. When the Lord says to you, I will. I've got it. I've got your back. I've got this. 1 John 5 verse 4 tells us that without belief we can't um, overcome the world. And that's so true. How often we get sucked into the world when we lose faith. power of faith in this passage if we look at it is because it, it was inspired by the reason they could be so filled with faith is because the presence of the Lord was with them if you look I don't know if you notice how often they use the word the ark the ark of the Lord the ark of the Lord verse 4 verse 6 verse 7 verse 8 verse 9 verse 11 verse 12 verse 13 the ark of the Lord was right in the center of them as a people the ark of the Lord symbolizes the presence of Yahweh we learned a few weeks back that what Yahweh means is that I am the eternal covenant keeping God who will redeem you who will reconcile you who will save you I
on the seventh day. Can you, can you, can you just imagine? After the first day, oh heck, that, oh man, I got a cough. I'm pulling out, guys. I'm out. Or can you imagine? Just, just, can you imagine the Israelites saying, "What again?" And the seventh day, so we're done now. No, we've got six more. But their faith was persevering. They knew that if they were following Joshua, they knew that if Joshua was following the Lord, then they could have faith that God's plan would be fulfilled. The thing with us is that we are an instant gratification society. And sometimes God is just seeking to find out if we have just a little more faith. Instead of giving in at the first opportunity. How often our faith fails. How often our faith fails. Trust me. Just trust me. Tr please. Oh. Tr trust. I, 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 the best way to, is, is to apply it to my own life. I know. Some of the kind of relationships I pursued. And the way I went about them. Was nothing to do with God's will. Oh, I used the God card when it came to the end of the relationship. God has said, well, strange how God changed his mind because four months ago he said I should date you. Now he says I shouldn't date you. He's a bit kind of, he's losing. No, no, God never said I should be with you. And God certainly didn't say I should stop. God just said, you're being disobedient. You're of little faith. You pursued a relationship that I never intended for you. Have more faith. Persevere in your faith. And that's what we see with the Israelites. They persevered to that last moment. They went the 13 times. And then when the shout was sounded, they were there for the victory. They persevered. They held on. We give in to selfish desires. We give in to man's methods. Well, I'm going to pursue a career like crazy, forget my family, and then when I'm about 50, hopefully retire and start spending time with them. That's not God's way. That's not God's way. That's man's methods. That's man's methods. Even today, Valentine's Day, it's man's methods of trying to show love by writing a petty little card. Men of God and women of God, let's be showing our love God's way, not in man's methods. Again, don't cop out by saying, well, I don't give you a card today because it's just some commercial holiday. Do it because I assure you the wives are saying that. Okay? Do it today. Do it every day, but definitely do it today. Giving into temptations to sin again and again and again. God will bring about the best end. God is about His glory. And His glory is displayed in when even the most difficult, tragic life, when there's a brain tumor growing in your skull, when family is falling around you like flies because of disease and sickness, and drug addiction, whatever it may be. God is most glorified when that individual, that person, by faith, knows the promise of Romans 8.20. All things will work together for the good of those who love the world. Surely, Romans 8 verse 1, our present sufferings will not compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us. God is most glorified in that, and ironically, our most joy, our most satisfaction, particularly as followers of God, is found in obedience, joyful obedience to God. Lamentations chapter 3. How long, O lords? This is scriptural. Psalms. I guarantee you, read three psalms, in no time at all, you'll find at least once in there, How long, O Lords? Patience is one of the grandest virtues of the Christian life. There is nowhere in culture. I, I would, I would I'll give you permission. Watch seven days of shows in a row 
and come back to me if you saw there was one glorification of patience. Guarantee not one. If she doesn't work, chuck her, get a new one. If it doesn't work, chuck it, get another one. If you don't have enough money now, no problem, get another credit card. If that car is a year old, gosh, it might have a scratch. Get another, it's okay. Instant, instant, instant gratification. And we have to be a people, like we've said, this whole series is about us not being like culture, but being in culture and not of it. And one of the greatest areas is to display patience and assurance that God will deliver on His promises. He will. That's just His nature. Persevering faith. Faith applies the strategy of God. Okay? And finally, and I need to speed up a bit. Can I just quickly make a reference? The trumpets were central to God's plan. There were seven trumpets. Seven's a number you'll find a lot when God's at work. The trumpets were Yovel trumpets, which are trumpets that symbolize the presence of God or symbolize jubilee, freedom. The trumpets were actually, and we'll refer to this next week, part of declaring to the sinful, self-centered Jerichoites, God is here! We're the people of God! You could stay locked in there, or you could come and join us. No one really thought about it, but they could have come out and said, Whoa, we know God's with you. Will X1, and I ask this as a rhetorical, impassioned question, will X1 be marked by Yovel worship? I've said this again and again and again. I want every visitor, particularly the lost, to come in here. And because of the way we are worshipping Yahweh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they are struck by a consciousness of His presence. That's what I want. I want us to be noisy. Noisy about praising God. We could be noisy about so many other things, but praising God. Yes, I want us to be silent, but I want us to be a people marked by, I'll preach on this in the summer, one sermon, exuberant worship. Okay? Victory is given to obedience. Verse 20. When the trumpets sounded, the people shouted. Definitely not English folk. Definitely not English men. And at the sound of the trumpet, except if they're at a football game or rugby, but not about God. No, no. Shout in church. <laughs> Ooh, oh, no, it's too much. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. Amen. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout. I know what shouting is, but a loud shout must just be another level. Huh? A loud shout. Notice this. They're shouting. While the walls are still standing. Let that linger. Take that home. You see, we, we, we want to shout once the walls have fallen. Oh, oh you are good, God. <laughs> the walls are still standing. Gosh, I, I, some people at the back were really blessing me this morning. The wall collapsed, so every man charged straight in. And they took the city. While the war still stood, they gave a shout. There are some amusing theories as to why the walls of Jericho fell. Like I said earlier, the resonance of their shouting somehow miraculously matched with the resonance of the walls and poof, just fell. Basically, they're marching around, if it was the two million of them, loosened the inner foundations and then they fell. 
Ironically, at exactly the same time as they shouted, wow, there was an earthquake that was aligned with because it was on a fault line. As they shouted, huh, lo and behold, that's why it needed to be seven times so God could time it right. The wars fell. None of those probably cater for one simple fact that as Aaron put it last week, God just went, eek. That's what happened. We believe in absolute truth. That's what happened. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me if you'll do it again. But that's what happened. It was not the mouthy shout of the Israelites. It was not the guile and the cunning of Joshua's military strategy. It was God's gracious reward to their faithful obedience. Take the city. God's gracious reward to their obedience. The same can be true of our lives. Listen to these words by one of the commentators, a guy called uh, Paul Downey. He says this. He says, be careful about misapplying this process, but understand it fully. Okay. It is a lot easier to rejoice and proclaim victory once the walls come down, but we are to rejoice and proclaim victory while the walls are up. We have to be cautious to avoid misapplying this principle. The principle illustrated here applies only to the clear promises of God. There are some things God has promised us that we have a right to claim by faith. For instance, we can claim Christ's joy, John 16 verse 24. We can claim the peace of God, John 14, 27. And we can claim eternal life, John chapter 10, even in the face of our adversary. But Israel's shouting down the walls of Jericho does not support the name it and claim it school of theology that says God is bound to give you anything you demand of him. God is under no obligation to give us things simply because we want them. God hasn't promised me a thousand people in our church weekly. He definitely hasn't. Or offerings of 25,000 pounds. Definitely not that either. The truth is I'm not at all certain that being given the responsibility of pastoring a church of a thousand with 1.25 million annual budget would constitute a blessing. God has promised to take care of those who are His. We must let Him determine the nature and timing of any blessing. He may choose to bestow, and we must acknowledge that our future glory with Him is blessing enough. God has promised us so much. There is a deceitful, dangerous theology out there that promises you everything you want. You're going to be extremely upset. But God has promised us joy. He's promised us hope. He's promised us deliverance. He's promised us that He will always be with us in every circumstance. He's promised us His peace. And we can claim those things. As I said earlier, the book of Joshua is an Old Testament parallel to the book of Ephesians. And what you have in the book of Ephesians in the first four chapters is just endless telling by Paul. He gets caught up in telling us how blessed and how forgiven, how loved, how gracious God has been towards us and His mercies towards us, His love towards us. But then there's this amazing change in Ephesians 4 verses 22 through 24. Let me read them to you. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. All the promises are there, my friends. We live in them, we claim them, and we receive them by obedient lives. God is gracious enough that even in our disobedience, He blesses us. 
God is gracious enough to let a man as fallen as me preach. But that's not the kind of norm. The norm is that God has all these promises and that He rewards obedience. Let me say this. The true worship is obedience. If you turn to 1 Samuel 15 verse 22, it says that offerings, and our current version of that would be attendance to church and singing lots of songs, is nothing. It's just, but sacrifice, uh, sacrifices are, are, are great, but it's obedience that I truly, truly desire. 1 John 5 verse 3, this is love, that you obey my commands. God blesses obedience. God gives victory to the Israelites as they shout before the walls have fallen because of their obedience to His strategy, because of their faithful obedience, their persevering faithful obedience. Will we be that type of people? Will we be ready to see our Jerichos fall because we're persevering and faithful in our obedience to God? Let us never be deceived into thinking that worship is anything short of obedience. Victorious living is the reward of obedience, not the result of a repetitious pep-up of worship while we're here at church. Coming here every Sunday and trying to lift your spirits to kind of make it through the week, it's going to be extremely difficult. God gives victory to our obedience. I want to finish with this. God's ultimate divine strategy, God's strangest strategy to fool the wisdom of man was that in His Son, He would offer a perfect substitution and sacrifice for our sins.